and think about what it would mean to live a fulfilling life. What is a life well lived? What would it take, what would have to happen for you to be content to die? Would it be a life of adventure, an awesome romance, lots of money, a, a great career? Maybe, maybe just knowing that your kids would be okay or those that you, would, you love would be in good hands? In one of the greatest films of all time, a Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey is found contemplating the value of his own life. George was facing financial struggles and felt that he had given up on his dreams to help others and that his life wasn't worth living anymore. He is ready to jump from a bridge and end his life, and George wishes that he had never been born. And when he wishes he never had been born, Clarence, his guardian angel, appears and intervenes and shows George just how awesome his life was and all the people that he helped, and that his life does have value and the great impact that he had in the lives of others. After seeing the good that he had done and the people that he had helped, George goes to Clarence and begs for his life back. He sees the value now of his life. And so as the one preaching today, I'm obligated to give a disclaimer that uh, It's a Wonderful Life is not theologically accurate. We know that that's not exactly how angels get their wings, but it is a great heartfelt film as George realizes the value of his life and what is really important about it. It came out in the 40s, so I think we're well past spoiler territory here. So I apologize if you haven't seen it. Um, But as the movie comes to an end, George is declared the richest man in town as he celebrates Christmas Eve with his family and friends. And he is reminded that no man is a failure who has friends. It's a sweet ending. In scripture this morning, we are going to be looking at a man named Simeon. And instead of seeing his own life played out before his eyes, like George Bailey, he sees the beginning of another's life. And he prophesies about how this life would be played out. George sees his own life and is now content to live. Simeon sees the life of another and is now content to die. He sees this baby Jesus that he had been waiting on for so long. Simeon sees that salvation has come, and by God's grace, he beheld it. George Bailey, we know, is a fictional character, but Simeon was a real man who beheld the Messiah. George was captivated by the life that he had lived and the effect that it had on others. Simeon would be captivated by the life of this baby and the effect that it would have on others. If Simeon's story were made into a movie, one artistic interpretation uh, might be to title it, It's a Wonderful Death. I doubt it would be a Christmas bestseller because it sounds a little morbid. But as we'll see in Simeon's song today, not only did he live a wonderful life, but he would die a wonderful death, having seen the coming Messiah. Theologian Matthew Henry said, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. 
Let's go to God in prayer as we consider a life worth living and a death worth dying. Lord, help me this morning to preach your word. Please soften our hearts so that we might rightly see ourselves and our need to be redeemed. I pray that through the hearing of your word this morning, that we would come to treasure you even more this Christmas season. Show us what it means to live a worthy life and how we can be prepared for our last day. Thank you for your inexhaustible love that pursues us even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we jump into Simeon's story, let's take a few moments to look at some of the context that surrounds our passage. If you read along, starting in verse 22, we have Mary and Joseph heading to Jerusalem to conduct their business at the temple. They are headed there for two primary reasons. We might be more familiar with the Jewish custom for any newborn boy to be circumcised on the eighth day. But another custom would be a ceremonial purification on the 40th day of the child's birth that the mother would have to undergo. This purification would be for the mother and would have, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean after having a child. And so 40 days after giving birth, the new mother would offer a sacrifice for her purification. So they came to the temple on this 40th day for this purification for Mary. So just envision a new mother 40 days after giving birth traveling five miles by donkey up a mountain to perform this purification ceremony. But these ceremonies were not just for strict religious observance of Old Testament laws. They served a purpose. They served as symbols that pointed to greater realities. They pointed the sinfulness of man and their need for a sacrifice in order to be redeemed to be made right with God. Mary could not enter the temple until she was purified, just as we cannot enter into the presence of God if we are not made clean through the sacrifice of Christ. The Bible is littered with examples like this all throughout Scripture, pointing to our need to be made clean, our need for a Savior. The second reason Mary and Joseph came to the temple was to present the baby Jesus to the Lord. Every firstborn male had to be given in service to the Lord. This was like a baby dedication to God. Parents would offer their child to the Lord and to his service. The sacrifice that they offered was two young pigeons. The law made provision for, for those that didn't have enough wealth to, offer, wealth to offer a customary sheep. And this was the low budget option that Mary and Joseph could afford. And something interesting to note about this is that while you did have to go to the temple for the purification ceremony of the mother, you did not have to go to the temple for the ceremony of the child. And so this this dedication was not typically performed at the temple. And so something's different about this dedication. Something's different about this baby. Mary was told prior to this in Luke 1.30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What a birth pronouncement. Just as the angel had said, they named him Jesus. They dedicated him to the service of the Lord at his father's house, the temple. Mary and Joseph realized that in an ultimate sense, that this child was not theirs. And in a unique way, they were giving this child to God. In verse 25, we are first introduced to Simeon. And today we're going to look at who he was and the traits that marked his life. Simeon did not hold a special title or status. He was not royalty or a high priest. It's funny, this is the only time he's actually even mentioned within the Bible. He had a very common name for his time, named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And while it does not explicitly say that he was an old man, he probably was, given his willingness to part from this earth. As we think about Simeon, even the whole Christmas story, we see just how much God delights in using the humble. Mary and Joseph were two poor teenagers of no notoriety that God chose to use to display his glory. And Jesus would not be born as a conquering governmental supreme leader as, like many Jews had hoped, but he was born as a humble baby in a manger. This embodies one of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong. The foolishness of man to shame the strong, to shame the wise. If Christianity were a man-made religion, humanity would never pick these humble, simple vessels to propagate their system of beliefs. But God delights in it and uses humble vessels for his glory. Simeon was an ordinary man who served an extraordinary God. God doesn't need the impressive individuals who have it all figured out. The church is sustained by Simeons, simple, faithful men and women of God who live faithful lives. If you question what you bring to this church, be encouraged that it is not status, skills, or external appearance that God cares about, but a humble heart that trusts in God and lives faithfully. What is the validation of man compared to the validation of God? In verse 25, we see three ways in which Simeon lived. First is that Simeon lived by God's standards. He was righteous and devout. So what does it mean to be righteous and devout? For some of us, we hear these words and maybe we're, we're prone to think of some, some monk in a temple somewhere or some super Christian missionary uh, that is, is ascended to levels of faith that we can never dream of. And that is, this is not the case. Simeon was just a man who believed in the promises of God, who had good theology, and put his hope and faith of God's promise for a Messiah to come. Biblically, righteousness is not something that we can attain for ourselves. 
Romans 3.20 says that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be made righteous or justified. We cannot earn it by our works. And this is the case with us just as it was with Simeon. Simeon is made righteous by his faith and he acknowledges his need for a savior and therefore he is made righteous in God's eyes. He is also devout. He is careful. He is cautious to obey God's words. He's obedient to God's commands and laws. Living as a faithful example to others. When Simeon met Jesus... It was not the first time that he beheld Jesus. He had been beholding Jesus every day of his life. The second thing we see in Simeon is that he was waiting on God's fulfillment. Simeon is waiting on this consolation of Israel, the comfort of his people, the deliverance of Israel from its unfaithful ways and from its enemies. And we see that the Old Testament is a collection of promises. And at the center of these promises is the promise of this coming Messiah, that God would send a redeemer into the world. And prophecies written hundreds of years before Simeon was even born, such as Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This Messiah would come to redeem sinners from death and hell, and through this Messiah, there will be eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins. This Messiah will save his people from their sins. So many in Simeon's day had forsaken their faith in God and had become, come to worship other gods. And the nation of Israel had become hypocritical and legalistic, adhering more to the commandments of men than the commandments of God. They were forsaking their faith in the God who had delivered them time and time again. And Simeon is a part of this faithful remnant that knows the word of God, that knows the prophets and their prophecies of old. And he is anticipating this coming of the Messiah. This waiting is not like, all right, God, I'm going to chill out here in the corner. Tell me when you're ready kind of waiting. It is not put it in the microwave, wait for the beep kind of waiting. It is, it is more akin to the little dog sitting in the window of the door with its tongue out anticipating the return of its owner. There were those who had not forgotten. They were active in their waiting. I'm helped by Alistair Begg when he describes these faithful few saying that their hearts were beating in tune with the purposes of God, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Hearts beating in tune with the purposes of God. For my Christians here today, could you say that your heart is beating in tune with the purposes of God? Are you trusting in the promises of God that he is faithful despite any circumstance in your life? Or do you give more time and energy and attention to your immediate surroundings? Are you going to God in prayer and seeking him in his word? Are you looking for wisdom, for true fulfillment in Christ? There is no better way to live. Simeon could have been driven sick with all that was going on around him. The apostasy of his people, their unfaithfulness, their godlessness, and he was well aware of this, but his focus was on God and living out his purposes on this earth. 
To Simeon, it was not a matter of if God would fulfill his promises, but when God would fulfill his promises. He was about his father's business, waiting for the fulfillment to come. And lastly, the third trait we see in Simeon's life is that he was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he was led to the temple by the Holy Spirit. And amazingly, the Holy Spirit had revealed that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Sometimes we can relegate the work of the Holy Spirit as a New Testament occurrence. But he was there in the beginning, the third person of the Trinity, working in the lives of Old Testament believers. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone in the Old Testament, it indicates the anointing for a special purpose, to, work, to speak or to act or to work on behalf of God. If we were in Simeon's shoes, the proper response to this, to know prior that you would see the Messiah would be to be filled with amazement. What an awesome blessing from God. Simeon knew that he would not die before seeing Christ. The fulfillment of all these prophecies to sent to save this world from their sins. And by his grace, God would allow this ordinary man to behold his glory. So while this certainly is a special gift for Simeon, it should strike us that this spirit-led life should be the norm for any Christian today. If you are a blood-bought believer, you have the helper, you have the comforter, the Holy Spirit lives in you and gives you capacity to do good, to defeat sin, and to walk in the Spirit in true fellowship with God. We have this Holy Spirit working in us, empowering us to be lights in this world and to overcome evil and to know true joy. And just as Simeon is led, we are led. We have the fullness of spirit in even greater ways since Pentecost. We have God dwelling within us. Brothers and sisters, that should never cease to amaze us. Each morning, are we recognizing and trusting that God has filled us with his Holy Spirit to go about our day. Simeon was just a normal man with right theology, trusting in God. And God used him in great ways to be a witness, a testimony for the Messiah. So we've looked into the life and the character of Simeon. Let's now consider the song of praise that he sings in verses 28 through 32. Mary and Joseph have entered the temple, and this was not the interior part of the temple where, where priests would go. This was the large outer courtyard area, full of coming and going, and amidst this busy hustle and bustle, Simeon is led by the Spirit to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. They didn't know each other, and they weren't looking for each other specifically, and this baby wouldn't stick out from any other baby. This baby Jesus wasn't doing anything miraculous to be noticed or to stick out in a crowd. 
The child isn't displaying force powers or turning their water pouches into wine. He looked and acted just like a regular baby. We don't know how this encounter started or how they met. And you would think it might have been, as I was reading through this and studying this, it might have been kind of awkward. Some guy walks up that you don't know and says, hey, hey, can I hold that baby? While we don't have those exact details, I don't believe it was awkward at all. Simeon knew who this child was and that he was to behold him before his death. And Mary and Joseph knew that who their child was and that his life would be anything but ordinary. The Spirit brought them together. And Simeon, full of love and adoration, takes this baby in his arms and starts to cry out before God, blessing and praising him for the arrival of this child. And the name Simeon means God has heard. And for all of Simeon's longing and anticipation, repeated prayers for his people and their deliverance, God truly has heard his prayers. And in his sovereign orchestration of events, gave him a name that reflected this. God has heard. God has taken on flesh so that we might be saved. Simeon then says, Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The sight of this baby and the fulfillment of God's promises causes Simeon to pronounce that he can now die happily. My life has peaked. God has fulfilled his word. And Simeon doesn't say his eyes have beheld a baby or or my eyes have beheld a future king. He says that my eyes have seen salvation. The salvation has come, and through this child, because of this good news, Simeon says that his life is now complete. His task is complete, and I am now ready to part in peace. This song of Simeon in Latin is called the Nunc Dimittis. It means now, Lord, or now you dismiss. Simeon is saying, now, Lord, I am ready to die. You have fulfilled your word. Simeon is holding God in his arms who has entered into humanity in flesh. The waiting is over. Your faithful servant has fulfilled his task. Nunc dementis. Now you can dismiss your servant. He can depart in peace. And Simeon goes on further to speak of this salvation that this child would bring describing those to which it has come. In verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As salvation had come to Simeon as he trusted in God's promises, but it would also extend globally. Salvation would come to the Jewish remnant, but it would also come to the non-Jewish nations, the Gentiles. It would be a light of revelation for the Gentiles because this would be the first time that it would be revealed to them. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 9-2, writes, prophesying this future event, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. This is a foreshadowing of the salvation of the Gentiles to come. And people from these pagan nations that were in darkness would come to know this salvation solely through Christ, the light of the world. 
This salvation to the Jews, on the other hand, would not be a new message, but the fulfillment of an old message. It would be a glory to them as they received the fulfillment of the long-awaited prophesied Messiah. All of this is embodied in the arrival of baby Jesus. This encounter affected Simeon so much in this moment that he is content to die with the way God has blessed him. It must have been wonderful to hold that baby Jesus, to be led by the Spirit, and to be a witness of God's fulfillment. As we seek to imply this encounter to our lives, two observations are apparent. The first one is that if we are in Christ, we already have everything that we could ever need. If you are a Christian here today, do you know what you already possess in Christ? All that you could ever want is fulfilled in Jesus. If you were stripped of everything that you have and had nothing that this world has to offer, but you had Jesus, you would have everything that you could ever need. We've heard of accounts throughout history of those that are struggling, poor artists who toil to make ends meet, and then only for their works of art to be recognized as masterpieces upon their death. When it comes to our religious devotion, our pursuit of God, our trusting in the promises of God, many of us live like those struggling artists, not recognizing what we hold in our hand. Not of our creation, but of what we have been given in Christ. We already have the masterpiece in Christ. You have the greatest gift that you could ever have. Don't miss it. If we are not careful, we become like a child on Christmas morning who opens up presents only to move quickly to the next one, not realizing the gift that they have been given. This gift of Christmas is quickly assumed and we know it is always there and so we take it for granted. In the salvation of Jesus, you have been given the greatest gift that anyone could ever possess. Simeon was content to die. How much more should we be content to live, willing to live our lives for the glory of God and to attest to this song of Simeon? To my non-Christian friends today, these might be hard words to hear, but they are true. If you are not in Christ, your life will never be complete. No amount of New Year's resolutions will solve your sin problem. You will never have ultimate fulfillment, but this gift of Christ is here so that we might be saved. You can receive this precious gift of salvation. You can turn from living life your way, acknowledge your sin before a holy God, and put your faith in what Christ has done for you. That he took on your sins so that you might have life. And you don't have to be crafty or wise or, right of the, or part, of the, uh, part of the right family name or the right social group. You don't have to be rich or talented. You can have this free gift of Christ who shed his blood for sinners like me and you. You can have ultimate fulfillment and live truly free in Christ. I pray that you would talk to members here today if you have questions about your salvation, do not delay something so important. This brings us to our second observation. We can walk in full assurance 
because God will always be faithful to his word. Simeon could die peacefully because of the fulfillment of God's word. As Christians on this side of the cross at this particular moment of salvation history, we are able to know things that Simeon never knew. We have 2,000 plus years of fulfillment in history. And while it should astound Simeon to see the birth of this child, we see the further fulfillment in this world. Many of us here today are offspring of Gentiles to whom this light had been revealed. We know what the Messiah did and how he was received. We know that he rose again, defeated sin and death. And when we watch, sometimes when we watch movies as a family, uh, it may get a little intense and one of our little girls will start to get scared and kind of turn away and say, turn it off. And, and I'll just look at them and I'll say, don't worry, baby, the good guys win. And this just always seems to help. As Christians, we can have assurance that the good guys win, that death is defeated, and that we have victory in Jesus. This Christmas season, are you full of joy because of what Jesus has done? We should look at that baby and pronounce salvation has come. To Simeon, this was the greatest gift that he had ever been given, and to us, it's the greatest gift we will ever receive So after Simeon proclaims this song of praise to Joseph and Mary, in verse 33, we see they marveled at what was said about him. Their amazement can be attributed to the general grandness of this proclamation, but not just its grandness, but at the same time that salvation would be made available to the Gentiles. As we think about like maybe Jewish thought of the day, Gentiles were the godless enemies of the Jews. They were those that had infiltrated their society, corrupted, corrupted their beliefs. And many Jews believed that the coming of the Messiah would be for the Jewish people alone and that they would rule over the godless Gentiles. And so it would be scandalous for them to hear that God's plan of salvation extends to even the Gentiles, to all peoples. Simeon blesses the young couple, affirming them and pronouncing the favor of God upon them. And then he turns and he speaks directly to Mary. And this is where the tone changes. It's been this glorious celebration of a savior that has come. And he looks directly in Mary's eyes. And now we have a more somber note. Prophetically, Simeon knew that Joseph would not be around to experience much of the suffering that their son would face. We know this because after Jesus gets lost at the temple at the age of 12, this is the last time we see Mary and Joseph together as a a parent couple. Every time after Mary is alone and at the cross, we see Jesus even gives the care of his mother over to the apostle John. And this would let us know that that Joseph was not there to take care of Mary. John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took him, took her to his own home. This was Jesus giving up the care of his mother. Joseph wasn't around and Simeon knew this, speaking directly to Mary. 
his new mother, he lets her know that the path of head will not be without conflict. Follow along in verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Christ will cause division and separation. Jesus is the dividing line drawn in the sand. And depending on your disposition of your heart towards Christ, some are going to rise and some are going to fall. Pastor John MacArthur says that Christ is going to be the determiner of destiny for everyone. Those that exalt themselves would be humbled and those that humble themselves will be exalted. There will be those that are risen up to salvation and there will be those that fall in their pride and choose their own ways. A remnant of Israel would remain faithful and others would fall away. We look at Isaiah 8.14, a prophecy of the Messiah. It brings out the dividing nature of Jesus. He shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. The Messiah will be a stone of stumbling and a sanctuary for others. He will be the stone that leads to the downfall for some, and for others, he would be the cornerstone on which they build their lives. Simeon also tells Mary that this child will be a sign that is opposed. Mary, the mother of this 40-day-old baby, finds out that not only will this child cause separation and division amongst her nation and people, but that people will hate him. He will be the object of people's hate. Is this not true today? Most people outside of the church probably hear the name of Jesus used more as a curse word than they do as the redeemer of humanity. The amount of emotion felt on this day must have been overwhelming for Mary to hear that your baby will bring salvation and to hear that people will hate him. They are going to reject him. They're going to hate him so much that they would murder him in the worst possible way. Why would they hate them? Why would they hate this perfect man? John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. The righteousness of Christ exposes the sinfulness of man. Instead of turning from their ways, they crucified him. People love their self-appointed standards of morality, and God's standards of morality exposed them for what they were. They loved the darkness rather than the light. And God sent his son to earth as a gift, and Jesus went on that cross on our behalf, and he gave his life. But praise God, it would not end there. He rose from the grave, fulfilling these prophecies of a forever king, defeating sin and death, and because of this, salvation has come. Simeon can rejoice that salvation has come. Do you believe 
this testimony of Simeon. How we respond is everything. What's made clear is that there can be no neutrality when it comes to Christ. We can have the nativity out and we can pray before every meal and we can have a cultural acknowledgement of faith. But what's most important, does Jesus reign in our hearts? Fully realize Christmas should be a miracle. Do not let familiarity breed contempt. Do not let Simeon's song be drowned out this Christmas season. We have Jesus. Salvation is here. And not just born a babe in a manger, but to die on the cross so that we might be reconciled to God. The last thing Simeon says to Mary, continuing with this somber tone, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Mary would begin to see her own child, this child that she raised and loved, who was sinless, by the way, so it must have been such a joy to parent. (laughs) Grow up to become her savior. As he grew up, this relationship as a son would begin to change. He would be distanced from his mother, pulling pulling away from her as he grew more and more into his role as a Messiah, as the Messiah. She would not only grow in love for him as a son, but she would also grow in this love for him as a savior. Imagine the depths of love of this mother. We struggle sometimes, I struggle sometimes to love God more than my family and those closest to me. God was her family. She would see the rejection of her son. She would see him betrayed. Mary at times has been referred to as the mother of sorrows. And we see why. She's standing at the foot of the cross, watching as they mock him, as they beat him, as they drive nails into him. And just as Simeon said, this would drive a sword through her heart, through her soul. The torture that she would have to bear as the mother of the Messiah. In this last line of prophecy to Mary, we see the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Our response to Christ reveals our hearts. In order to receive the salvation of Christ, our sin has to be exposed. If we choose to deny our sin, and we justify ourselves, we justify ourselves in our sin, we will go to hell in our sins. If we embrace this revealing of our heart, this exposing that Christ brings, this line that he draws in the sand and acknowledge the sinfulness of our heart and our need for atonement, our need for redemption, we are saved, not by our works and efforts, but because of the sacrifice of this child who would one day grow up to be a man to hang on a cross. The thoughts of our hearts are revealed in the response to this sign of Christ. As we saw earlier, neutrality is not an option. Christ reveals our true selves. He exposed the hypocrisy of the religious of his day, and he is exposing hearts today. Jesus is revealing our hearts. And as we consider the beauty of this Christmas season, 
Are you full of joy because of what Jesus has done? When we see the decoration of a nativity, that little baby should make our heart cry out just as Simeon's did. Salvation has come. As much fun as it is to sing jingle bells this Christmas season, how much greater is it that we get to sing our salvation song? We are saved from living for this world and our sin, and we are saved to spend eternity with Christ, our creator. Our lives are changed in Christ. Our deaths are changed in Christ. We have every reason to celebrate. This world celebrates Christmas, but it is not rooted in the hope and the joy of Jesus. If we are in Christ, we already have everything that we could ever need. The masterpiece is in our hands. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy, and he has come so that we might live abundantly and so that we might die well. May we not fear death, but instead may we fear that we would not live this life for Christ. We can walk in full assurance because God will always be faithful to his word. When your life comes to an end, what will it be defined by? Will it be the glory of self or the glory of your Savior? A life lived for Christ is a life well lived. And even in death, we will see glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to save sinners like us. Thank you for always being true to your word and abundantly giving of yourself. Help us to cherish you in every area of our life. And not just in this season, but at all times. Help us to live for your glory and not for our own. Salvation is here, and for that, we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.